0: Hello and welcome to The Future Of here at Nordic Fintech Magazine. And today we're answering the question, will we have banks in the future? Keep listening to find out. No one likes banks. They're slow, they're unintuitive and their business models are based on stitching customers with unpredictable fees, penalties and commissions the banking business model has remained practically unchanged for 500 years as soon as people started depositing money into banks bankers realized that it was unlikely that everyone would want their money at the same time so they started lending it out to borrowers for a fee in its simplest form the bank borrows money from jane to lend to jack and hope that jack will pay them back fully before jane asks for her money back in the process the bank charges jack a bit of interest plus some fees and discourages Jane from asking for all her money back at once by limiting the amount of money that she can access in one go. And of course, charging her penalties if she does so. But for most of us, it has become difficult to see the real value that banks provide. If you're anything like me, you probably see them as the slightly awkward uncle who you have to invite, even if you don't want to, to important life events like weddings and the birth of your first child or the purchase of your first home. But they are also there when we buy groceries, when we get paid and when we travel. But as much as we might dislike them, banks play an important role in helping us to transact with each other and in fueling growth and innovation through loans and credit. Now, like every other industry, banking is changing exponentially. In the past 10 years, it has changed more than it has in the last 100 years. We don't even have to go that far. As late as the 1980s, banking was still mostly carried out on paper ledgers, where clerks would write manually the records for deposits and loans. But unlike industries like media or travel, banking has resisted from fully giving into transformation. Now, as someone who has worked for a bank, I can say that the level of trust, responsibility, and regulation that is placed on banks has made CEOs very cautious when it comes to change. And this is largely because bosses are strongly encouraged by shareholders to focus on the risk part and not on the opportunity part of the business. A very real example of the cognitive phenomena of loss aversion. But for a long time, banks have defended their position with phrases like, well, we're okay, we have the customer trust. Interestingly, customers seem to disagree. In previous videos, I have shown you the following survey done by British company Ipsos Mori in 2018, in which 52% out of 20,000 global respondents say they believe that the bank would take advantage of them if given the opportunity. Now, banks have also been complacent on the idea that customers never switch banks. They are in fact more loyal to their banks than to their spouses, some bankers say. And again, research by Accenture found that nearly one in five millennial customers in the United States switched banking providers in a period of 12 months. This is almost double the one in 10 35 to 54 year olds who switched. And it's also six times the rate of customers age 55 and over who switched banks. For digital natives switching banks is as easy as downloading a new app and with an active customer base that's prepared to switch banks if they're unhappy with the service there's a market opportunity for new companies with strong value propositions and strong technological capabilities this increasing competition means that traditional banks are facing a battle to remain relevant especially when it comes to younger customers trying to make sense of all the changes is not so straightforward and that's because there are several trends that are developing at the same time But for simplicity purposes, let's divide these trends into three. So today we're going to be talking about open banking, neobanks, and super apps. Now, if we think about how large incumbent banks are responding to competition, one of the most disruptive trends, especially within the European banking system, comes from open banking. In Europe, the Payment Service Directive, also known as PSD2, is a regulation issued by the European Commission that requires banks to create digital interfaces for third parties to be able to access customer data and even some functionality available through the bank's core banking platforms. The purpose of this regulation is to make European payments market more efficient, more competitive, and more secure for customers, but also to level the playing field for new payment service providers see, the potential for disruption of open banking is enormous. By embracing open banking, banks are inviting a tsunami of competition to their door. And this is, of course, hugely beneficial for customers who will have more choices for services that will make their financial lives more convenient. But for banks, this means a change in the rules of the game. Banks who want to survive will have to make a choice either continue to bring financial products and services to a market with lower barriers for entry, much higher specialization, and where they will have to compete for customers with faster, more cost-efficient, and possibly better value digital new market players, or they will have to develop new business models where their main role will be operating a banking platform that other banks and non-banks can use to securely and compliantly provide products and services to the market. Think of it as a shopping center, where the bank can either run the shopping center where other shops sell products or services, or it can run a shop within the shopping center itself. It's unlikely that most banks will be able to manage both. Visa's recent 1.8 billion euro acquisition of Swedish API company Tink hints towards a heated battle for the control of the future banking platforms, and because we all know that in the platform wars, network effects means that the winner takes it all. So the second trend that is reshaping banking is the emergence of neobanks. Neobanks are challengers. They enter the market servicing niche segments or specializing in parts of the banking value chain. Take Revolut as an example. Revolut is a British bank that launched back in 2015, servicing the currency exchange needs of travelers. Today, it has full banking licenses in several countries, and as of June 2021, it has 15 million customers across 37 countries and provides services like current accounts, business accounts, trading and investing. The company Wise is a similar example. Wise started as an Estonian-British company operating with the name of TransferWise, and they were disrupting the remittance and cross-border payment market. They were doing this by slashing exchange rates and money transfer fees, and also reducing the time that it took to complete transfers to mere seconds. Now recently, the company has dropped the transfer out of its name since it now offers more services including personal and business accounts. Other neobanks like N26, Monso, and Lunar have followed a similar trajectory and have established themselves as solid contenders in their different markets. Stripe, a business payment provider, is now valued at $95 billion US dollars. It's the largest private tech company in America. And Stripe's success as a business platform suggests that it's not just retail banking that might be under threat but corporate banking as well, because they became very popular with tiny businesses by making it easier to embed payments into their websites. It has now also expanded into payroll and cash management services. But in spite of all the welcome transformation, a future in which banks will play an increasingly smaller role, or even no role at all, is starting to take shape. And this is because of the third trend, which is the emergence of the super app. This trend has mainly been observed in Asian and emerging markets in Latin America, where tech giants are using the competitive power of their platforms to offer customers more varied services. Take for example, tech apps like Grab or go in Singapore and Indonesia respectively. Both companies started as ride-sharing services and organically grew to enable low-value, high repeatability services like food and grocery delivery and parcel delivery. Now, both companies are for the first time offering bank-like services like payments and microloans and microinvestments to people who had never had a bank account before, or even a credit card but they are fluent in the use of smartphones. See, most super apps cannot do everything that banks do and that's because they don't have a balance sheet to sustain things like lending. A bank's advantage lies in having deposits that they can lend out. Tech's firm's advantages is in that they know whom to lend the money to. But some platforms have decided that they would like to also have a balance sheet. An example is Bank, the company that chose to make banking cute and in the process captured 6% of the unsecured personal loan market in South Korea. Bank is now South Korea's biggest lender by market value with a valuation of 29 billion US dollars. But it started back in 2010 as a messaging app called Kakaotalk, which today has a user base of over 45 million users in South Korea, which is a country of 52 million people. If other technology companies took this path, you may not be getting your first mortgage through your bank. According to Gardner, by 2030, 80% of incumbent financial service firms will have either consolidated or run out of business. So we are looking at a future with significantly less traditional service providers. Now, this is not to say that the need for banking services will disappear. If anything, as more and more people can be serviced without a bank account, demand for consumer and business financial services will grow. So we are looking at a future within the next 10 years where information from your social media accounts, your current account, and even your gaming profiles will be used to create a unique profile to hyper-personalize banking services to you. Who will be providing those services is probably a topic for another podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe to our channel or check out our website at nordicfintechmagazine.com for more transformational thought leadership.